Praise God. We are here to worship. I am so honored to get to be here, uh, to get to study God's word with you. Uh, it is packed. The passage that we're in in 1 Peter today is packed with truth. So we're not going to waste any time, and we're going to jump in. So if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 4 through 12. And while you're turning there, I want to just kind of give you a preview a little bit of where we're going uh, where, where we're going this morning, where Peter is going to take us through uh, scripture is, uh, is this. I want to explain it with this illustration. When I was first married, uh, I was first married to my wife, Danielle. We lived in Dallas. I know we're sorry. We've repented. We live in Fort Worth now. But that first year of marriage, we lived in Dallas. And uh, Danielle was finishing up college. And uh, she also had a job. And I was working two jobs. And so our first year of marriage, I picked up a third job. It was a part-time job. There was a kind of a fancy pants movie theater in downtown Dallas. And I took a part-time job as an usher at this movie theater. For one, because we need a little extra money. But also, we were newlyweds. We needed free dates. And so I was thinking, hey, I get free movies and free popcorn. This is perfect. When I would go to work, I would clock in as an usher. And clocking in as an usher, I had responsibilities that matched my role. My role was an usher. My responsibilities were things like picking up trash and wiping down bathrooms and sweeping up popcorn. Somewhere along that first year um, that I worked there, uh, that year, about halfway through, they decided to make me a manager, which probably wasn't a good idea, but joke's on them. That's okay. They made me a manager. And then all of a sudden, my role changed. And so then all of a sudden, I went to the same building, but when I clocked in, as a manager, my responsibilities were different. As an usher, my responsibility was I'm gonna clean up popcorn. As a manager, I go sit in an office and I work on scheduling for people and spreadsheets and making deposits for the theater and those kind of things. And so my responsibilities matched what my role was. What Peter is about to do in verses four through 12 in chapter two here is he's going to lay out for us what our role is as believers. He is going to lay out for us this very, very important role. We are given an unprecedented new role when we believe. And so what we need to hear this morning is a reminder of what is that role. I need to know what is that role, and then I need to know what are the responsibilities that come along with that role. And that's what he does in this passage. The role, this unprecedented role he gives us, and the responsibilities that come out of that. Start with me in verse 4. Of chapter two, Peter says this. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There is a lot here. There is so much here. Something we can't skip over without addressing is, is this. The role that we're giving, given, it is a role with unprecedented access to God. The role that believers are given, we have this unprecedented access. And when this was written, when Peter wrote this to the church that was spread across the world, that was hurting, that was being persecuted, this would have had a context that they would have read it in that would have felt radical. Up to this point in the Hebrew faith, there was one high priest. 
the Levitical system had the ability for one high priest to go into the Holy of Holies uh, to be able to make spiritual sacrifices for the people uh, in this very specific way. And this would have been the context that they would have heard about this for. Even to be any of the priests, you would have had to come from a very specific tribe to be a priest, to certainly be the priest who gets to approach the Holy of Holy, have access to God in this kind of way would have been the most exclusive VIP thing in the history of faith. And so here you have God's word all of a sudden radically knocking down the doors of who gets access to the God of the universe, saying, hey, no longer is it just that. Now you are a royal priest You have that. You have the ability to then offer spiritual sacrifices which are going to be acceptable to God. This would have been radical. I was, my parents raised me in the church and I'm so thankful that they did. It was one of the best decisions they did in shaping who uh, God would have me to be. But growing up in the church, just always, I I think often it's easy for me to take for granted how easy it is to just access my heavenly father through Jesus Christ. When, when the readers of 1 Peter would have first read this, they, their jaws would have dropped at how unprecedented their access and now our access is incredibly important. What has gone from the most exclusive opportunity in the history of mankind is now available. Who gets it? Who gets that role? Who, who is, it, is it available to everyone? It's not. There's a limit to it, but, but where is it limited? Verse six and seven, Peter answers that question. He says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. This role is distinguished by those who believe. It is belief that distinguishes who gets to be a living stone and a part of this royal priesthood and who isn't and who sees the living stone as a stumbling block. That belief is what distinguishes. And let me make a quick disclaimer just to, to be true to First Peter and, and all of scripture, we believe, I believe you, you can't read much of First Peter and really the New Testament without running into the idea of there is a sovereign God who chooses. Even in this passage, you are a chosen people. All throughout First Peter, we definitely see a, a high view of a sovereign God who is choosing his people. But we will run into that beautiful tension of chosen people, and I agree, but God has chosen us to follow. There is still responsibility to respond. There is still 100% responsibility on us to respond. Um, when, when I proposed to my wife, Danielle, I did it in a field in Colorado, about an hour and a half away from the city, underneath these big mountains, and I got down on my knee, and I chose her. I chose her to spend my life with. And so I got down on my knee, and I asked her that question. She then, even though I had chosen her, she then had a responsibility to respond to that how she wanted to. And she said yes, which is really good for me. That has been a really great choice on her part for me. I also, my wife is a nine on the Enneagram, which means nothing to most of you, but those of you who care, a nine on the Enneagram would probably rather say yes to a lifelong commitment than be in a really awkward hour and a half long car ride if she said no back to the city. So I kind of stuck her there and she kind of had to say yes, but Really great decision. It worked out really well for me. Um, Pray for my wife, please. Um, She needs it. She lives with me. She's stuck with me. We have a responsibility. Does that make sense? We we don't do away with God's sovereignty in these passages and say, it seems like God chose us, yes, but also it seems that we are called 100% responsible to believe, to accept that. Do you? 
do you believe? And not simply do you like Jesus? And not simply do your morals align with his morals? And not simply does your Western upbringing align with what you know of his teaching? But do you believe? And Peter lets us know what that means to believe when he talks about Christ being the cornerstone. That's what he means. Do you believe he is the cornerstone? Do you say, my life is not my own, it is built on him. He is foundational to me. Without him, everything crumbles. Without him, I am not a house to bring him glory. I am a pile of rubble without him. Do we believe those stones, those living stones, they don't fit without him? He is foundational. Is your belief in Christ have him foundational in your life? And if you say, no, not yet, I'm not sure that I'm there yet, I love that you're here. Praise God that you are in this room. Praise God that you are watching or listening. I believe if you have made it this far into this sermon and you're not sure if you really believe, I believe it is no accident that you're hearing this. And I don't think it has anything to do with my words, but I think the Holy Spirit is wooing and calling and saying, I have chosen you, won't you follow me? Won't you stop trying to build your life on all of these things that keep crumbling? I am better. I believe the gospel is here before you. And if you're watching this, I believe he wants you. And I believe that feeling that you have is not an accident. It is the spirit of God wooing you to something better. Would you listen to it? And would you let us or other believers walk with you through that of the implications of what it looks like to build my life and all the applications on that and let us walk with you through that would you please let us walk with you through that you will not regret it and if and if you're in this room or you're watching and you say yes I do believe he is the cornerstone of my life I have put my faith and I have made him the bedrock and the foundation then for us we ask the question okay what are our responsibilities we believe, so we have this unprecedented role. Now, what are my responsibilities uh, in this? Here we go. A new unprecedented role with new responsibilities. Verse nine is going to show us exactly what those are. Verse nine is the crux of this whole passage. Underline it in your Bible. It is the answer to what is the responsibility we have, to what purpose, to what design do we have. Look at what it says. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We, church believers, we are given a new responsibility to proclaim his excellencies. That's what he's saying. That's what he's doing in this passage. We are given a new responsibility to proclaim his excellencies. That's what he does here. He starts off in verse nine by doubling down on this idea that here's your role, right? That you, you have this role of being a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hey, if you've already forgotten that three verses ago, I told you you were gonna be that, three verses later, I wanna make sure you remember. I mean it. There's an unprecedented role. And then right in the middle of verse nine, he makes the all-important pivot from role to responsibility. You are all of these things that you may proclaim his excellencies. 
What does that mean? What does that mean to proclaim his excellencies? In a very general sense, I think it means that we make much of God, that we live lives that are making much of God, that we point to him with our lives, that we, that we not just sing and talk, but we live lives that make much of him and remind people of how good our God is. But I wanna get really, really practical too. And I think Peter spins the next three verses in a way that allows us this, this morning to get really practical with how do I wake up Monday morning and how does this stick for me that I really proclaim his excellencies in my life. The next three verses, verse 10, 11, and 12, Peter is gonna tell us exactly what that means to proclaim his excellencies. And the first is this. There's gonna be four ways that he unpacks. And with each of those ways, I'm gonna challenge you with a, with a question of how, how we're processing through that and, and how you're doing with that. And I'm posing that question for you to take to the Lord, for you to take to the Lord and spend some time this week with those four questions that I'm gonna give you to wrestle with. Lord, where am I at with this? How might I increase in making much of you with my life? So the first is this. It's a responsibility that requires us to get personal. Verse nine and 10, he gives us the script in verse nine and 10 of, of what we say. Here he says, okay, we're to proclaim his excellencies. And then he gives us a script. He says, out of darkness into marvelous light. He says, once we were not a people, now we are a people. Once we had mercy, once we didn't have mercy, now we do have mercy, right? He contrasts these things because this is about his excellency. And there was a vulnerability here to even Peter to say, man, once we were broken and now we are not. It's a theme throughout all of scripture. It's a call to be vulnerable. It's a call to be It's a call for us to be weak. Paul, I think, does this about as good as any other New Testament author, right? Paul, who says he's chief of sinners. Paul, who says things like, why do I wrestle with the things? Why do I do the things that I don't wanna do and and do the things that I don't wanna do? Why do I still struggle with those things? He's a man who at every turn seems to share his testimony, which is not a good look for Paul in the amount of persecution and the life he lived from darkness and he does it to make much of Christ. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. I think he, he articulates it really well. He says, but he said to me, referencing Christ, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. When we in appropriate and discerning ways, get vulnerable with our weakness, it's glorifying to God because it shows that we didn't call ourselves out of darkness. He did. We didn't save ourselves. He saved us. We didn't bring ourselves back from the dead. He gave us life. He is strong. We are not. So in those ways, we have to get personal with those vulnerable places in our testimony in discerning ways that God might get the glory for the life that we live. Let me give you an example of just how this might play out um, and just specifically me, what, what this might look like. So for me, when I was a 13-year-old boy, I was introduced to the battle that is lust in my head and my little 13 year old heart. I was introduced to this battle that waged war in me and I was saved and I had the Holy Spirit so I could feel his conviction 
of, of where things were dragging me to the darkness and then I could kind of experience his freedom from those things too also in my life. And then even uh, into high school, that battle continued to wage war in me. And there were times of sweet victory and then there were other times where I felt like I was just getting my tail whooped. And then from high school, even that battle continued into college. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking before I got married, once I get married, then that'll never be a battle for me anymore. And that wasn't true for me. And I had to continue to fight that battle. And I had to continue to wrestle with a default darkness that my heart was prone to wander prone to wander. And I had to say, Lord, I need you. I'm prone to this. It it wasn't just solved because of my circumstances changing. Help me here. And I don't stand here confidently claiming that I've arrived. And I don't stand here claiming that I'm excellent because I know my default setting wants to drag me away from the marvelous light that he's already called me to. He is excellent. He is excellent. And if we are really going to proclaim his excellencies in really applicable ways, that means we're going to have to get personal with ourselves at times, at appropriate times. It means you might not look so good, but he looks good. I'm going to be honest. I was not super excited in my sermon prep to be like, man, I can't wait to get to Christ Chapel on Sunday morning and tell him a battle that I've been wrestling with my whole life. Just one of the many laundry list of sins that I continue to battle. Man, this is gonna be great to announce to Christ Chapel that there is a battle that wages that I have to, I have to lean into Christ for victory. Um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to ignore the conviction of the Lord to say, hey, be vulnerable. Be personal in a way that brings him glory. And I said, man, I don't really wanna do that. And I wrestled with him. Why? Because it's just not flattering. That's why. Boils down to it's not flattering. It's not a good look. I would imagine, I wouldn't blame you, if there's internal gasps of, ooh, he struggles, he struggles with that. He's a pastor and he struggles with that. And when I say yes to that, when I say yes, it is a battle, then I get to proclaim how the victory I have and the purity With the purity that I'm walking in over that temptation, I get to proclaim that that is about him and not me. Because the protection and the grace I experience over that, by God's grace, the sweet victory I get to live in in that, by God's grace, is about his grace, not just that I've arrived and I'm invincible in the battle. And so, yeah, it might be vulnerable at times, but it gives God glory. Gives him glory. Now, I want to caution us because I think um, I've seen and and in in my ministry, I've seen at times there's demographics and communities at times that um, will take this idea of being vulnerable with sin and run with it. And it's, yes, look at, let's all sit around, let's all talk about it in a way that can also be uh, unproductive, in a way that it almost can feel like, oh, we're going to minimize sin because, oh, oh, good, we're all struggling with that. Okay, it must not be that offensive to a holy and perfect God. And so there is a caution there that we all of a sudden swing to say, let's be completely vulnerable at everything in undiscerning ways in a way that minimizes sin. And we want to we wanna steer away from that. We want to protect that. We also wanna, we wanna caution ourselves that we don't project on other people what you might struggle with. What, what I struggle with might not be the same thing that you struggle with. What you struggle with might not be the same 
the same temptation that I'm kind of led in. I have different struggles. And we live in a world right now that I think oftentimes says, well, if this is what I'm struggling with, it must also be what you need to seek forgiveness. You need to be vulnerable. Man, you're not being very vulnerable about this. Man, you must not be vulnerable. Or it's just you have a different struggle. That, we need to be very careful. We need to slow down with that and remember that this is a vertical thing. This is between you and Jesus. Not a comparison game, but between you and Jesus. To ask yourself this question, what darkness has God called you out of so others can have hope? What's that look like in your life? What are those tendencies that you wander into that God has called you out of, that God has given you victory that you might be able to, in discerning ways, share so that you are proclaiming his excellencies from a personal place? That question, pray about. Father, show me that darkness. What, what, what is it that I've been set free from? And if, and if you feel like you can't do that, if you feel like you can't proclaim personally, in, in the right context when the Holy Spirit leads, but if you feel like you can't do that and make that proclamation um, personally because it makes you look bad, then I, I want to challenge you to reassess who you're worshiping. If I, if I have a hard time being vulnerable, when the Lord puts it on my heart, because I'm, I'm realizing that's, that's not going to be a good look for me, then I need to reassess who I'm worshiping. And I need to reassess who am I really fearing. Do I feel the Lord who is good and gracious to me, or do I fear what man thinks of me? And I say that, yes, boldly, to get in your face. But I also say that from a place of humility of, that's a, that's a battle for me too, because one of the other many laundry lists of sins that I have to continue to wage war on and seek his victory is, is my own pride. So I've got to lay that down in this process too. If you say that I don't know that I can proclaim vulnerably about the, the darkness that I've walked out of, if you say that you can't do that because you still feel like you're stuck in the darkness, because you still feel like, I can't share vulnerably about that because I'm not really experiencing his marvelous light and it just feels like total hypocrisy. Listen to me, that is real. That is, that is real. And you are not alone in that. And you are not alone in what it looks like the process to walk into his marvelous light. And God has created community. God has created the church. You know, the church is not closed. This church never closed. We wisely and safely shut down services. Even now, we're, we're taking a lot of precautions to where, no, not everyone is gathered in one room um, or throughout the campuses on one day, but the church is still very much open and has been and is full of not only staff, but leaders and believers and a royal priesthood all throughout that say, we wanna walk with you. Right? Men like Matt Lance and Micah Barnum, men like... Um, Andy Bowen and Doug Cecil, women's ministry, full of a staff of godly women, men's ministry. We have Soul Care, which is an entire ministry that steps into this space so well. Uh, there's a ministry in Soul Care called Reengage. And Reengage is, uh, is it's for married couples. And there's a lot of married couples, not all, but there's several married couples that go through Reengage because their marriages are in really, really dark places, feel very much stuck in the dark. Um, and feel like, okay, there's no hope. This is the last straw. I don't think this is gonna work. I can't imagine this marriage surviving. And they go through that and we see, because of Jesus, unbelievable transformation. And just something that's interesting. You know who they recruit to lead 
re-engage. The married couples who mentor those who come in who are hurting and who are, feel like they're stuck and feel hopeless. The mentor couples in re-engage, the ones they recruit are not couples who have had the perfect track record and never struggled in their marriage. The couples who lead that are couples who say, man, we were stuck. We personally can, ex- can, can proclaim from our life, look how hopeless we thought it was for a season and look what God has done. Let me proclaim what he has done. Not the couples that say, man, we've never struggled with anything, but we have struggled and there has been victory and there is, there is now marvelous light we're walking to. That's what we want. That's what we're called to. That's what glorifies God in such a sweet way. Second, second responsibility is a responsibility that requires us to be active, to be active. When you hear, man, we're called to proclaim his excellencies, it doesn't mean that if somebody slides a survey about Jesus across the table that we fill it out with a glowing review. It means that we are actively, the verb here to proclaim is the verb that drives this whole, this whole passage that we are to then go actively look for opportunities to proclaim how good he is. It is us with our feet in the starting blocks ready to take off. Um, There's a friend of mine who was in um, a horrible car wreck about a year ago. He and his wife were, and the car flipped, and it was a traumatic uh, event. And the recovery was a, a long and gnarly recovery with surgeries and rehab and months and months on his way to the hospital, in the ambulance, with his wife, not knowing what was going to happen to them, not knowing what was going to happen to his sweet wife, he gets to the ER, the adrenaline starts to wear off, the pain is immense, uh, he had all sorts of broken bones and things out of place. This man, he, he started asking the question, okay, God, I know you're in control. Who do you want me to share this with? Who is this for? Who, who are the nurses or the patients or the doctors that you want to use this horrible accident as an opportunity for me to now be in a hospital for weeks and weeks and rehab for months and months? God, where would you have me go? Who would you want me to talk to? And he is a man who is close to God's heart and he is close to God's word. And so that was the lens that he saw this. In a horrible time for him, his lens became, I want to proclaim his excellencies where can I do that? Who, who, who are you working in, God, that I can plant seeds? Uh, he told me a story. In the middle of the night, a nurse came in and took his vitals and did what nurses had to do and then turned off all the lights and was working on their laptop. And he it was 1 a.m., so he you know, started going back to sleep, put a sleep app machine. He's got cables and IVs all over him. The nurse, just the glow of the laptop, the only thing in the room. And the nurse says, now I get the impression that you are a religious man. And my friend Dusty just takes his mask off and sits up in the bed and is like, okay, we're going. I, I follow Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and he is my savior. What, what, what do you think about Jesus Christ? He talks to this nurse for 45 minutes, which is probably frowned upon in the nursing community that he spent that much time with him. But they just walked through the gospel. This nurse was able to ask him all kinds of random questions in the middle of the night that had been stumbling blocks for his faith for his entire life because this man was ready. God, how can I proclaim you? His feet were in the starting blocks ready. Middle of the night, a nurse just says one little phrase, he's off and running, he's active. If we're gonna proclaim his, his excellencies, we've gotta be active, we've gotta be looking for those opportunities. Pray this week, ask yourself this question. What relationships in your life can be a platform to proclaim Christ? What are the opportunities in your life 
What are the relationships in your life, the neighbors, the coworkers, the lady at the grocery store? Where are the opportunities that you can step in as a platform to proclaim Christ? And I know this is a hard season. Just, just like my friend in the car wreck. I mean, he, he was in a hard season. This is a hard season for so many of us. We are also living in a world that is very much hurting and very much lost and very much scared. So how much louder is it if we, those who believe the royal priesthood, proclaim loudly, even in our own hurt circumstances, to a hurting world that yes, we're hurting also, but God is good. God is worthy. God is worth building your life on. If you believe you've got a job to do. Last two. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is a responsibility that requires us to avoid the flesh. Right? There is a, a responsibility here that requires us to avoid the flesh. Remember that part in the sermon like 10 minutes ago when I talked about how, how valuable it can be to get personal and vulnerable about walking out of the darkness into light? Okay, well, Peter now balances that idea with also this idea of you must also remain in the light. How important it is to stay in the light and not fall back. We need to abstain, he says, from the passions of the flesh. The passions of the flesh being the sin that so easily entangles us. You know what that is. You do business with the Lord vertically on what that looks like. But we need to fight hard to abstain from that, to flee from that. It's glorifying, it is a glorifying thing to God to be vulnerable about what he's called us out of and into. But if we don't abstain from falling back into the darkness, which is our default setting, then we lose our witness, church. We lose our witness then. We lose our witness to a hurting and dying world that, that is asking us to, to proclaim something better than what is around us. Will we lose our salvation? No, by God's grace, we won't. Will there be consequences? By God's grace, yes, there will be. We need boundaries, right? Here in this, in this passage, he, he even says, man, there is this, the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. There is a war that is happening right now in our souls, for our souls, and Anybody who would ever have fought in a war would understand the importance in war of boundaries, of walls, of barbed wire fences, of trenches, of radars, of alarms, so that you know when an enemy is starting to creep into your space. We are at war, so we need to figure out, okay, what boundaries do I need to make sure that I'm not stepping back into that darkness? If, it's, if I really believe in this role, if I really wanna live out practically these responsibilities, what walls do I need to put up? What accountability do I need? How radical can we be with the boundaries because we believe we are made for the glory of God? So pray about that this week. Pray about what boundaries might you need to help you avoid toxic patterns in your life? What boundaries might you need to add in your life to help you from slipping back from the marvelous light into darkness? And then one final responsibility comes along with this new role that we're called to, and it's this. It's a responsibility that requires us to be honorable. Verse 12, look what Peter says. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let me explain what the day of visitation is. The day of visitation, most Bible scholars and and commentaries would say that that's the day that you are visited by Christ. That would be a reference to judgment of these people who are evildoers at the first part of verse 12, now standing before their judgment on the day of visitation. And so it's, it's beautiful how Peter does this, how the very, the very final phrase in his flow of thought between verses four and 12, it, it lets us know what's at stake. This day of visitation lets us know what's at stake in this whole thing. And what is at stake in this whole thing is eternity. For those who are here evildoers, that there is eternity at stake that maybe they would see your good deeds, they would see the way you responded to their slander, and they would glorify God on that day. I have a choice in how I respond when I'm attacked, right? Or when even the cornerstone of my faith and the truth that I stand on is attacked. I have a choice in how I respond. I can respond honorably. I can respond honorably and graciously. I can turn the other cheek as Christ would command me to, or I can defend myself and I can put those evildoers in their place. I have a choice of which path I want to respond in. Um, In high school, I took debate. I was on the debate team. I know that gets me a lot of cool points with the kids out there. Uh, I was on the debate team. I got really good at arguing. I went to debate tournaments every weekend. My parents loved it, right? High school teenage boy who just practiced the art of arguing all day. Um, I got really good at arguing. I got good at it, and I can, I can win an argument. Quick on my feet, I can put somebody in their place. I, can, I got an, enough context, I can win an argument. What I keep being confronted with in this passage, but even in this season that we're living in right now, is I can win or I can win people over. I have a choice there. I can win or I can win them over, and we spend a lot of time trying to win on social media, in our relationships. We spend a lot of our time and energy trying to win. Winning looks like leaving a wake of defeated people. That's what winning looks like. It looks like defeating other people. But winning over looks like leadership, where people, albeit painfully slowly, are taking baby steps to believe more and more and more. That's what winning over looks like. It looks like humble leadership to say, I get it and You're hostile, but let me help you take a baby step towards truth more and more and more and more. Um, Boxers are designed to win, right? If you're a boxer and you don't, you're not designed to win, you're probably not gonna be a very good boxer, right? Boxers don't pull punches. Their role is to get in the ring and swing as hard as they can to knock down the other person. I think there is a lot of us right now, Christians, who think we're boxers, And we're not, we're ministers. You are a minister. And if you think, well, okay, no, Ben, you're a minister because you work for a church. No, 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 no. First Peter is really clear here. If you believe, then you are a minister. You are a part of the royal priesthood. You have that same access that uh, somebody who works for a church does or a nonprofit. You, if you believe, are ministers, not boxers. And so We've got to challenge ourselves to remember that and walk in that. 
how can I be honorable even when it feels like I'm being attacked or what I believe is being attacked because I don't want to win as much as I want to win them over. And remember what's at stake, eternity, God's glory. That should be worth not seeking out retribution in offending those who offended me. The gospel is offensive enough. The gospel is clearly offensive enough. We, we see that in verses uh, four through six in this passage. Remember what it says? It says that the, that the living stone, that the cornerstone is offensive to those. It says that the cornerstone is a stone of stumbling for those who don't believe. We live in a world that says truth is relative. We live in a world that says you have your truth and I've got my truth and you can have your truth. We can all have our own personal truths. And then Jesus comes along and he says, nope, that's not how it works. Jesus comes along and he says, I am the cornerstone. There's not multiple, we're not all cornerstones. I am the cornerstone. You're a stone stacked on me. We don't all get to be cornerstones, just me, Jesus says. That's highly offensive to the world around us. It's true. We're not budgeted from it. It's true. It's the reality. I don't need to make up new ways. I don't need to pick fights in new ways. I stand on that truth that he is the only way. And I humbly invite other people to maybe take baby steps towards what does that look like and experiencing that. Don't hear winning over as being passive in our culture. It's not what I'm saying. It is active Right? We're not pushovers, but my posture when I'm attacked, my posture when it feels like what I believe is threatened, my posture is honorable. It's turning the other cheek so that those evildoers, they might see that. They might see my good works. They might see the way I respond. And man, maybe eternity at stake, they say, okay, I don't know if I believe everything he believes yet, but his posture makes me want to take a baby step. For one day, would they be standing on that truth? The gospel I stand on is offensive enough, right? So I can confidently and humbly stand, right, on that, on the conviction of Christ because I didn't earn that platform. I didn't earn that platform in the first place. It was his grace that called me there in the first place. So why can't I show the same grace to somebody else who isn't there yet? Pray about this this week. Where do you need to give up winning so that someone else might be won over to Christ. Take that to Jesus. Are there places in your life where you feel like, okay, maybe I need to give up winning some of these battles that I pick in order to proclaim his excellencies, in order to be humble and honorable and kind, that others might see that and they would want to glorify the God that I am making excellent in. Not budging from truth, living stones stacked on one cornerstone, but with vulnerability and with humility, active and looking for opportunities to proclaim that, fleeing from sin that might destroy our witness, and then, yes, responding honorably when we're slandered. What that would do for the world that we live around, the broken and lost world we live around, that we as his royal priesthood would proclaim his excellencies in that way. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so good. We love you and we love how you first loved us. And so God, would you continue to come, Father, as the fount that you are, would you come and continue to refresh us that we might respond honestly and genuinely to proclaim your excellencies, Lord. We know we are prone to wander. And so Father, would you tether us to you 
that we might bring you glory all the days of our life. In the name of Jesus, amen.